house of the Lord, and we've got folks traveling, coming and going, so again, I want to echo Steve and welcome our guests who are with us this morning, and uh, we are certainly grateful for you. We'll be leaving uh, tomorrow morning and be gone for a couple of weeks, and so I know uh, Jonathan is going to have an opportunity to speak um, over the next couple of weeks, and so I'm looking forward to hearing that, uh, listening to that uh, recording there, and uh, I know you will be glad to be here, too, if you come our way. So you would have to have been completely unplugged over the last uh, few weeks or maybe a couple of months even to not know about the, the destruction, the, the Kilauea volcano that is erupting in Hawaii. This thing is forever changing the landscape of the earth in, in this part of our, of our world and part of our nation, uh, if you will. It's a catastrophic event. It's changing everything around it. And the eruption actually began May 3rd as it began producing uh, the, the effects of this eruption, pouring out and spilling over uh, the land there, the landscape. And Alan Bertram is a resident of Kilauea, and he heard the calls to evacuate, heard the, from his government, from all those around him, and yet he made a decision to stay put. He was not going to leave. And so the National Address advised residents, evacuate now, or risk being isolated because they weren't going to put themselves in danger to go rescue people who had rejected or closed their ears up to the calls to evacuate. And so a week ago, his home was surrounded by this hellish pool of fire. And so that's where he found himself. And a news headline uh, read this rescued Hawaiian man. And it said, survived week surrounded by lava wishes he'd evacuated after the volcano's eruption. And so he told ABC News in an interview that they did with him, he said, I saw lava coming towards my bedroom and I looked out on the road and it was like a river. It was in my house. I didn't have time to grab anything. Everything I love is gone. And unfortunately, so many people respond to God's warnings in the same lack of urgency. And so for Alan Bertram, he didn't think it would affect him. He didn't think it would happen to him. I mean, after all, this current eruption actually began in January of 1983. Thirty-five years, this volcano has been saying, I'm going to erupt. It's coming. And you can see evidence of it. So for 35 years, but for 35 years, people have been murmuring about some threatening, big, huge, potential catastrophe, life-threatening danger. But see, that kind of talk gets old the longer it's talked about and there's no action, there's no evidence of it. It gets old after a while. It gets ignored, kind of like this guy trying to get the back nine in uh, before the lava pool. And Larry, I don't know, what, what iron would you use to get over the, you know, the lava hazard there? I don't know. But nonetheless, you can imagine now, they've heard this warning for 35 years. Imagine hearing a warning for twice that long, up to even 100 years, hearing this warning of catastrophe that's coming. So in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7, we read that by faith, Noah, when he was warned about things not yet seen, with reverent regard, constructed an ark for the deliverance of his family. And through faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And we don't know the exact amount of time it took Noah and his sons to build the ark, but it was long enough for those who were watching this happen to have made a decision to evacuate with them. It was long enough for people to change their mind. And so our series is called By Faith. And so last week we saw a man named Enoch 
who was identified as a man who walked with God. Scripture says he walked with God at a time when everyone around him seemed to be walking in a different direction. Enoch walked with God. And just a few generations later, his great-grandson, Noah, is called out in Scripture as a man who walked with God also. And so, in the life of Enoch, we saw last week, to walk with God means to please God. Pleasing God. And although the way we please God is really simple when you get down to it, overcoming our own desire for self-gratification and self-satisfaction, that is not easy. That's the hard part. And so... Noah must have done, this is what Noah did. He had to have done that to stand out, to stand alone at this time, to be recognized as someone who's righteous and blameless among his generation. And Noah was not perfect, but Noah was faithful. And there's a difference I hope we see as we're going through this study. And so during the first lesson, I I compared this walking by faith to, to the phrase walking by the beat of a different drum. And so we can certainly understand that in its most stark contrast as we go back and look at this story of Noah in Genesis chapter 6 and beginning in verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. You think about that. I mean, these are strong words. Every. All. Every thought, all the time. And the Lord regretted that He had made human beings on earth. And His heart was deeply troubled. Hang on that one a little bit. The Lord regret. I am sorry I ever made this world. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them, the animals, the birds, and the creatures that moved along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But, (laughs) it's like, wow, I want to go climb under a rock and hide. But, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And so it's easy for us to get caught up in the the doom and the gloom of the 24-hour news outlets where the worst of everyone is highlighted and antagonized minute after minute after minute, and we just feed on that and are saturated with that day after day after day. And we forget sometimes that we are the light of the world. We're the light in this darkness that is to shine. A city set on a hill which cannot be hidden, but that shines its light for all to see. And so we come together at at a place like this and in other ways, and we remind each other just by our presence together that there is good shining among the evil. Look at what Noah was dealing with here. Verse 11, the earth was ruined in the sight of God. The earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth and indeed it was ruined for all living creatures on the earth were sinful. Now, surely this is hyperbole, right? Exaggerated a little bit. I mean, come on, we use phrases like, you know, the whole world is going to hell in a handbasket. We say that at times and we don't really mean the whole world, do we? We just mean that the situation that we're in is bad. But remember what God told Adam and Eve. God blessed them and he said to them, you be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Right. So what happened just 10 generations later? Oh, they filled the earth. All right. 
They filled the earth with violence and they filled the earth with evil. That's what happened. Humanity has filled the earth with sin. And so back in 6.13, So God said to Noah, I have decided that all living creatures must die. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I am about to destroy them in the earth. Now we can read over these words. And it sounds pretty, you know, dry, pretty cold and callous. Except what did we just read? God's heart was broken over this. It grieved Him that the earth had come to this. This was not just some shoot-from-the-hip decision that God made. He made it because God had a greater saving purpose to the earth that He created. So He says, Noah, you make for yourself an ark of cypress wood. You make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and out. And so... This is really what Noah's all about, right? When you think about Noah, anywhere you see the depiction of Noah, you see what? What? You see these cute, cuddly little animals, you know, that he's cradling and, and water. You see water. You see lots and lots of water when we talk about Noah, right? And the ark and the, the, the flood, they were both huge parts of Noah's life. He, that, that's the reason we have the story of Noah, right? For, to get us through the flood, to bridge this gap between God's decision and God's ultimate will, the ark itself was a massive project unlike anything that had ever been done before. And so we know from Genesis that the ark was about 500 feet long, about 75 feet wide, and about 45 feet tall. And so it was built three levels, capable of holding at least, we know, two of every kind of living animal, dwelling land-dwelling animal, land animal, Larger than a football field, it was built to hold the equivalent of 500 rail cars and more than 125,000 sheep-sized animals. That's what you could stuff into the ark. And so, yes, the ark and the flood were huge parts of Noah's life. But if we could ask the author of Hebrews here, if we could ask this author for one word that might be associated with Noah, the word would not be ark. The word would not be flood. This author's word for Noah is faith. It's faith. And so by faith, Noah, when he was warned about things not yet seen with reverent regard, constructed an ark for the deliverance of his family. And through faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And so action based on events yet to be seen, right? That's what's going on here. Faith is the evidence of what? Things not yet Seen, But what can be seen is faith. Because faith requires action. Faith requires movement. And the movement of faith is evident in the life of the believer. And so faith moves us to action. Faith hears the words of the unseen God regarding events that are not yet seen. And faith brings us into the present, into experiencing it. And so was Noah some kind of super spiritual dude? Is that what we got going on here? Noah, did God give him some super ability to live this life of of righteousness, whereas the rest of, you know, the, the doomed humanity had it withheld from them? Is that what's going on here? Noah was warned by God. So God said, I have decided all creatures must die. So here's what you got to do, right? You got to build this ark so that you will be saved. Alan Bertram there in Hawaii, was warned by those who could see what was coming. He couldn't see it yet. 
Because at the time, he was standing on pretty solid ground. But those forecasters, those who had studied this, those who could see what was coming, had warned him about this. Arkansas, we know what a siren means, right? We hear it every Wednesday at noon. And so sometimes, when we hear that siren at odd times of the day, we realize, hey, wait, it's not Wednesday at noon. Something's going on. You know, and it, it, it piques our interest. It makes us pay attention. But those sirens are sounded by those who monitor the weather for us. They can see, they forecast, they know what's coming. And so they warn us. But we have to make a choice. Am I going to go up on the roof so I can see it coming? (laughs) Or am I going to go into my shelter? We hear the same warning, but we have to make a choice about what do I do about it. Do I heed the warning or do I ignore it? Do I heed the warning or do I do it on my own schedule? I'll get around to Doing it. When Noah was warned by God, he began. He started doing what God had asked him to do. No delay. No questioning about this. No need to ponder it. No need to analyze it. And certainly no waiting it out. Why? Was it because Noah was afraid to die? I better get on this so I don't die. No. Scripture says what? He had reverent regard. He regarded what God said. He had holy fear. He had godly fear. So Scripture says he was warned about things not yet seen. There have been a lot of people who have been killed at railroad crossings because they ignore the warning. You pull up there and the lights flash, the guard comes down to block the road, and you sit there, but you sit there, and then sometimes you sit there and no train, right? Where is it? Is it really coming? Or is this a false alarm? Does this warning really mean there's danger? Or did something go haywire and and it's just a false alarm here, right? Maybe something malfunctioned. Maybe somebody got it wrong. You've seen it before. You've experienced this. Noah's warning would have seemed incredible. A flood? What do you mean a flood? A flood that will cover the earth and kill everything? You've got to be kidding me, right? I mean, there had likely never been a flood up to this point in any isolated incidents, much less something of this magnitude that God had forecasted. And so the warning about the flood to kill all life would have been unprecedented and certainly unseen. But faith is what? Faith is proof of things unseen. It's the evidence of things not seen. Faith hears the words of the unseen God regarding events that have not yet seen and brings them into a present experience, brings it into action. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The Word of God. And so as we've already seen, faith is not simply belief. Faith moves you to action. And Noah responded with reverence and respect for the Word of God. And Noah had a choice. He had a choice just like everybody does. And he chose God. He made his choice. And the writer tells us back in Hebrews that by faith, Noah, when he was warned with reverent regard, constructed the ark. And through his faith, because he followed through on his faith, He condemned the world through his actions. It wasn't his condemnation. But because he followed through, God followed through. And the world was condemned. And so Noah received God's word in reverence, reverent regard. And we have this idea of standing in awe of God. We understand. We sing about that. I stand. I stand in awe of you. We kind of have a picture of what that is, that God is God. And we are certainly not. And we have this idea of respect. God speaks and we listen. We know what that looks like. We know, though, that the people of Noah's time did not respect God. And they did not 
listen to God. Instead, Noah was the only one, the only man on the face of the earth at this time with any real concern about what God had to say. One in perhaps millions of people, Noah was the only righteous man on the face of the earth. Can we even imagine that? I mean, you you sit on that for a little bit and think, the only human on the face of the earth who had any regard for God. Imagine being the only person to worship God this morning. We can't. We really can't. I mean, not just here in this building. Sometimes that's happened. We show up and, whoops, it's fifth Sunday. We, we had a devotional earlier, so we're not meeting now. People who've shown up before, the doors have been locked for that. But we really can't imagine coming here and nobody else coming to worship with us. We can't imagine that. The only righteous person on the face of the earth, not just in a building, but anywhere on the face of the earth. Imagine being the only righteous person anywhere. It took reverence and it took fear for Noah to maintain that kind of faith. He maintained it for years while he was building this ark. And so I've heard it explained that you may start out fearing God, but eventually you grow to love God. You move from fear to love. You can't. You cannot move from fear to love. Noah loved God, so he listened to God. He feared God because he loved God. He loved God because he feared God. And Noah feared God, so he got busy building the ark. And Jesus didn't say, if you love me, then you'll simply listen to what I say and you'll enjoy my words. Jesus did not say that, did he? What did he say in Luke? Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, he asked a question. Why do you call me Lord? Why are you here today worshiping me? Why do you profess to be a Christian and don't do what I tell you to do? Why are you doing it? He didn't say how. He knows how because you make a choice. Jesus says, why? Why are you doing it? He says, everyone who comes to me and listens to my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on bedrock. And when a flood came, the river burst against that house, but could not shake it because it had been well built. But the person who hears and does not put my words into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the river burst against that house, it collapsed immediately and was utterly destroyed. And for Noah, it wasn't a house that would stand, but it would be an ark that would stand firm on the foundation of God's word and faith in the assurance that what God said was true. God meant what he said. He was going to follow through with it. So Noah reacted in obedient faith. Noah's faith moved him forward and he got busy building the ark, not because of fear of water, Noah wasn't afraid of water. His fear was a reverent fear of God. Proverbs 1.7 says that fearing the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding of this moral knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and they despise instruction. They won't listen. And so in a world that had no respect for God, Noah was different because he believed the warning and he believed that and that belief caused him to do something about it. And so it's been said that one of the greatest acts of faith in the history of the world was Noah chopping down that very first tree. Can you imagine? One of the greatest acts of faith is that first act swing. And so from that point on, Noah spent probably you know, 120 years obeying this command. God said, build an ark. And with every swing of the axe, Noah was saying, I believe. He proved his faith with every stroke, 
every saw. Noah was telling his family, I believe in God. Dad, why are you going back out there today? I believe in God. Dad, why are we keeping this up? I believe in God. With every swing of the hammer, Noah was telling the world, this is my faith. This is what I believe. When we live by faith, we are telling the world, I believe in God. When I make a choice to participate in this, because it's something God wants me to do, and I don't participate in this because it's something God does not want me to do, I'm telling all those who are watching, I believe in God. And when you make a choice to come together with other believers at a certain time and at a certain place, you're telling the watching world, I believe in God. And when you show your love to others, where others would spread hate, and where you proclaim joy, where others proclaim bitterness, and when you are a peacemaker, when others are stirring up strife, and when you show patience, when others are past the breaking point and are crumbling in their anger and their frustration, and when you extend kindness, when others will not be bothered, and when your life exhibits goodness where others wallow in evil, when you hold fast to the promises of God, when others would mock you for your naivety, and when you approach hostility with gentleness, when others are ready to fight fire, not with fire, but with a nuclear response, and when you take a breath and you count to ten, or you turn away and you walk away, when others are moving in for the kill, you proclaim, I believe in God. Noah was not a superhero. Nor was he superhuman. Noah's strength came from the very same place our strength comes from today. The Spirit of God. And so God's message for humanity has been the same since we walked in the Garden of Eden. James wrote to us in verse 7, So submit to God, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and make your hearts pure. You double-minded, grieve, mourn, weep. Turn your laughter into mourning and your joy into despair. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. And when we believe in something, it changes our behavior. And when we believe in somebody, it changes how we live. And so if I have faith in the weather forecast for the day, then my faith in that forecast has a way of changing my behavior. It changes how I dress. It changes what I plan to do, where I plan to go. It changes that I decide to stay out past dark and trim branches from a tree in my yard last night before the weather comes in. It it changes who I choose to spend the day with. That forecast does. Our faith in God's Word causes us to change the way we live. And so faith is a lot more than just believing something is true. Real faith leads us to do something about it. It leads to action on that faith. And so by faith, Noah completely rearranged his life So that he could do what God was calling him to do. And in the same way, the Word of God also changes the way that we live. And so it changes what we do each weekend. It changes what we do with our friends. It changes how we think. Our faith changes everything. And so Noah had this obedient faith. And we can have obedient faith as well. And Noah didn't just have faith in God's warning of this impending annihilation. Noah also had faith in God's promise of shelter, His promise of protection, His promise of salvation. By faith, Noah, when he was warned about what he could not yet see, with reverent regard constructed this ark. 
And through that faith, He condemned the world and became an heir of this righteousness. The ark was built for deliverance. But those who refused its shelter were ultimately left to the destruction that they'd been warned about. And so you think about this. God was so nauseated by the sinfulness of humanity that He saw the only option as hitting the reset button on the on, through the only man who happened to do what God commanded him to do. And so yet, God demonstrated His patience and ultimately His love by having Noah build something that would take probably a century to complete. And so why not put this miraculous bubble around Noah to protect him? Why didn't God do that? Protect him against the flood or, or lift him up to sit on a cloud and watch all of this happen? Why wouldn't God just do it immediately? Noah, I'm through with this. Come on, let's go, just like Enoch did. Why didn't God do it? Because the Lord is not slow concerning His promise. That's not the reason. It's not because He forgot, as some regard slowness, but God is patient towards you because He does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God was grieved at where humanity had come to, the point of humanity. And yet God was patient and loving and kind enough to give time for possibly change to happen. The judgment was not sealed before the door of the ark was sealed. See, even in their repulsion, humanity was still extended grace. And yet they still rejected it. And so this word righteous is also used of the right conduct that flows from being declared righteous by our faith. And so when Scripture says that Noah was righteous and he was blameless, it's referring to his godly life. The way he lived that flowed out of his being justified by faith. Noah didn't find favor with God because of his righteous life. Listen to this. Rather, because he found favor with God, because he realized the grace of God evident through the existence of humanity, the fact that we're even here living and breathing and getting to enjoy the blessings of this beautiful creation that God has made, this world in which we live and by which we are able to survive and thrive on this planet, because he looked around and marveled at this, Noah lived this righteous life. It moved him. His faith moved him to live this way. Just as the ark was the only means of salvation from judgment for Noah and his family, so is our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way that God has provided salvation from His coming judgment on the whole world. See, everyone aboard the ark was saved. But not everyone on the ark was lost. Everyone who has trusted in Christ's shed blood will be saved. And everyone who has trusted in anything else will be lost. And so in Noah's day, it wasn't a matter of being an excellent swimmer. So God didn't ask Noah, yeah, how long can you tread water? <laughs> that wasn't the conversation they had, right? You can't be good enough to merit salvation. The crucial question is, by faith, have you obediently responded to God's warning by getting on board. And we got on board with Jesus. We read earlier here in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 17, for it's better to suffer for doing good if God wills it than for doing evil because Christ also suffered once for sins, the unjust for the unjust, to bring you to God by being put to death in flesh, but by being made alive in the Spirit. And in it, 
he went and preached to the spirits in prison. And after they were disobedient long ago, when God patiently waited in the days of Noah as an ark was being constructed, in the ark a few, that is eight souls, were delivered through water. And this is prefigured baptism, which now saves you. Not the washing off of physical dirt, but the pledge of a good conscience to God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who went into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers subject to Him. And so God has issued a clear warning. There is a Category 5 storm of judgment coming, heading towards everyone who dwells on earth. And the door of the ark is still open. So God warns us, we've got to flee. Flee to Christ. Flee to Christ and you will be saved. Ignore the warning and you'll be lost forever. You say, well, I'm on the ark. I'm in, brother. Then what do you see out the window? What did Noah hear when the door of that ark closed? Noah heard salvation. Don't you think he heard some screams? Do you think he heard some people dying? What do you hear? So we can imitate Noah's faith and Noah's obedience, and we can join him as an heir of righteousness. But in what ways your life reflecting your faith in God? What are your actions and your decisions saying about your eternal outlook? Because if I'm living because I believe there is an eternity, then how can I stand by and see my friends or my family or my co-workers live the way they do? Because they don't understand that there is an eternity. So this morning, how are you living by faith? Sin can cause us to not live by faith. And see, there's more sin than just the the dirty ones we don't talk about. There's more sins than just the private ones that we keep to ourselves. There's the sin of self-righteousness. And that one sneaks in. I'm feeling pretty safe. So why would I want to risk much for you? Somebody today is drowning in your world in your life. And they need to hear this. They need to know that God is not slow concerning His promise. He hasn't forgotten. But He is patient. And He is loving. And He is generous. And He is waiting. Perhaps waiting for you to take that first step towards them or towards Him. And so this morning, as we have gathered together in assembly, do you have a prayer that you would like for us to share for you? Is there a sin that has gotten itself attached to your life that you need to repent of and turn back to God? Is there something in your life that we can encourage you about? Or perhaps today you are ready to get on board with God. You're ready to put your faith in Jesus Christ and confess Him as the Son of God. Repent of your sins and be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can receive the eternal gift. God's promise. Eternal life. What decision have you made? How are you walking by faith? If we can help you this morning in any way, will you come now as we stand and we sing this song?